0: Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is the Silmarillion, part three of our uh, Silmarillion read-along. Today, we're covering four chapters, chapters six through nine. Now, as a reminder, we have a total of 11 sections scheduled, covering an average of 25 pages each, give or take, the purpose of this read-along, as a reminder, is not to turn us all into Tolkien scholars, it's simply to have some fun with a notoriously difficult book and to hopefully glean some of its lessons. So welcome back. If you're not subscribed to the show. Uh, you can do so at thelegendarium.com, where you can also find uh, our link to Patreon if you want to support the show. Uh, we had a couple new signups this week, and we are very, very grateful for those who are supporting the show. I am your host, Craig Hanks, and with me as always, he's capable of weaving terrible, light-devouring webs of evil with only the hair on his feet. It's Ryan Bruckman. Yep. And he's very tired also. I'm very tired today. I'm I'm not expecting much in the way of comebacks. And while he claims that his crown jewels glow with an inner light, luckily I can neither confirm nor deny it. It's Kyle Lemon.
1: I don't ever speak about my crown or family jewels again.
0: (laughs) All right. So, guys, welcome back. I promised you last, not last week, but during the last recording that the next section would be more exciting than the last um you know last time it was a lot of family tree stuff it was a lot of setup setting up the characters the locations and now the story is beginning in earnest okay so it first of all just I, i guess yes or no high level was this more enjoyable more exciting than the last time
1: yeah absolutely definitely more action more things happening it felt like you said we're in silmarillion proper i feel so we've got some some semblance of plot lines and things happening right um just story. We actually have Silmarils. Actual story, yeah.
0: <laughs> so do you want to recap? Let's recap it so we can all remember what we've been reading. Uh, okay, so Melkor is free. His three ages of imprisonment are up, and now he lives in Aman, mingling with the Noldor and handing out advice and knowledge like candy. He seems like an okay dude now, but our narrator assures us that he is not. Indeed, he's been spreading lies among the Noldor, making them suspicious of each other and even of the Valar themselves. In the meantime, Feanor, the mightiest of all the Noldor, crafts the Silmarils, three great jewels that contain within within them the light of the two sacred trees. And none too soon, because Melkor betrays everyone, teaming up with the great spider Ungoliant, and together they kill the trees and Ungoliant drinks up their light, destroying it forever. Now the pure light of the blessed realm exists only in the Silmarils, which Melkor steals and takes with him to Middle-earth. So, Feanor and his seven sons swear an oath to pursue the Silmarils forever from anyone who would claim or keep them. It's a terrible oath and its consequences begin immediately as there's sharp division among the Noldor and some of them even murder their friends, the Teleri. Eventually, most of the Noldor find their way to Middle-earth to pursue the Silmarils and establish their own kingdoms as they can. So I think, guys, it's fair to say we have the makings of a very cheerful story on our hands. We
1: have a MacGuffin (laughs) <laughs> we do that's right that's right three of them three of them yeah, yeah.
0: the MacGuffins. three the brother yeah. the brothers mcguffin something like that okay so uh yeah kyle tell me a little bit about uh, your reaction to this section i mean we, we already said yeah it's more interesting we feel like we're getting into the story was there anything that jumped out to you that you thought you know as, as you're reading it like oh man this is really cool or
1: not um yeah a couple things i think just the the silmarils in in general, I like the that he's taken the light and he's crafted that in there. I, I like objects, those types of things we've talked about that in, in past episodes. Um, I like kept, magical objects, like magical objects. Yeah, like I said, something that whether it's magical or or it's the the MacGuffin, like we just said, it's the thing that everybody wants. Right. Um, I was very frustrated that Melkor was set free. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're uh, not the only one. And I'm sure sh- yeah, I'm sure I share that with many. Um and walk me through this because I'm pretty sure like I'm still this is my first time through. I'm still trying to figure out who's who and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But, so they let Melkor free, mostly because he's been on good behavior for three ages. Sure. And Manway basically struggles to understand evil at all. Like he can't he can't quite comprehend evil. So Melkor's putting on a show and basically tricks or just convinces Manway that he's reformed. And so Manway's like, yes, we need to let him free. And that that just feels like a real bad idea. Like that just for me there's the whole okay I guess there's forgiveness but this just like he's been doing this since before the universe was even formed <laughs> you know like there's no sure. he's been doing this he's been bad way longer than he's been good <laughs> and it just seems like a, a a bad idea when you're talking about what's the what's the greater good and I was reading I can't remember who it was but I was reading some notes on this and they they compared it to the decision in Lord of the Rings when Aragorn decides to go after Merry and Pippin instead of going after Frodo, where it's like from his uh, from his moral perspective, he's like, I can do something about saving Merry and Pippin, and so I should save them and I should go rescue them. But when you think about it from a grand scheme of thing, like. Why would he do that when everything rests on Frodo and the greater good is going with Frodo and you've got to kind of sacrifice, you know, for the greater good or whatever. So I thought it was an interesting comparison. But to me, it's you keep Melkor chained up in, in a way. Otherwise, you're asking for trouble.
0: Uh, OK. All right. Fair enough. Ryan, do you have a response to that? I think I do, but I'm curious if you do.
2: Uh, well, it raises the, the philosophical question. We know where Manway lands on this is can people change? um clearly melkor doesn't ever <laughs> um but no i i i don't have anything that's really like I, I'm, I'm okay with this concept i'm not really sure about the mary and pippin Frodo sure. comparison but no
0: well i mean i so i <laughs> this isn't a lord of the rings podcast this is a silmarillion podcast so i, I hesitate to get too deep into sure. that portion but I, I will say um the reason aragorn left or it, that he allowed frodo to go by himself is that he knew that it wasn't uh, that that the more people were around the ring the more chance there was of it corrupting people and ruining plans mm-hmm. um and so you know we're talking about it from a um you know a utilitarian perspective oh i better go after Marion and pippin cuz i can do something about that mm-hmm. and it sounds very utilitarian but at the same time the utilitarian approach to uh, shepherding the ring would be, let's let the bearer do it because mm-hmm. if I'm around it, there's more of a chance that it'll corrupt me, et cetera, et mm-hmm. cetera. So I don't think it was, I don't think that was a foolish decision on his part.
1: Not, and I, I like that explanation. So then I would probably flip it and say, uh, the more Melkor is set free, the more likely he will corrupt anything that he's around. Sure, sure, and sure. And so, sure. you know, maybe take the Aragorn route and say, we're just gonna not mess with that over there right and
2: sorry go ahead ryan no go ahead i was just gonna say i did like this that we've now we've taken him we allow him to corrupt and he plays the 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 soft game for a little while like oh no i'm i'm good i'm here to support you (laughs) and everything i do in there but then like just a few pages later he gets his sidekick his own henchman in the in uh, angolion yeah like all right, and now we're just going to consume all the light in Middle Earth. And like, <laughs> all right, well, I hope you figured out very quickly that it was a bad idea to let this man out. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. And somebody else uh, kind of had that comment. I want to see if I can find the uh, the listener question from somebody who said, uh, oh, okay, you know what? Um, this is from Elliot, our 10-year-old listener, Elliot. Oh. So let's, let's go ahead and uh, get Elliot's question in there. So Cody, Cody, Cody sent me Elliot's question, which is why did Manway believe Melkor? If Melkor is a bad guy, couldn't Manway see he was lying? No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. First of all, how much do we uh, trust the narrator of the story? Because we've already made reference to a lot of the things that are a little bit iffy, like uh, you know, do they really understand what was going on with the elves at Lake Quiviena? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, how much of this is just guesswork that's kind of patching in the story. Mm-hmm. And so the narrator is saying, well, Manwe is so good that he can't possibly understand evil. Is that true? Maybe. Possibly. I don't. But if that's true, then that raises a, a sticky theological point because Manwe is closest in his mind to Iluvatar. Yeah. So is that true of Iluvatar? that god himself cannot understand
2: evil mm-hmm. that would be weird yeah, right i think there's a pretty easy in my mind there's a pretty easy answer to that though and it's that manway might be unable to he may not have the full comprehension because being closest doesn't mean he has full comprehension right. with it yriruvitar uh, would have and his ability to manipulate uh, melkor's rhythms and everything earlier on showcases that he can see and know like no you're it's going to be part of the plan that i create so i wouldn't say that it, you know it goes that far that god can't understand that but it is a little weird to have the most powerful ruling semi-god demigod no god no he's lowercase g yeah, yeah, yeah. lowercase g god that's fine man wait have that flaw that i'm just so good i don't know i don't see evil or i'm not really sure it's like i don't know i guess if you don't understand sarcasm if you don't know what that is it, it just kind of passes over you maybe that's kind of what it is for him yeah <laughs> like, uh, and that's all it was is it was just snow core really sarcastic and he didn't understand sarcasm and just right over the head
0: so so let me let me also throw this out there um we're we're dealing with lowercase g gods right mm-hmm. we're dealing with gods they exist uh, in a different um uh, way than human beings do right um and so, when we, I, so I also want to bring up the idea of the punishment fitting the crime, right? You, you did the crime, you did the time, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, where it may be when they said, we're going to lock him up for three ages. I don't know that we quite grasp just how long that may have been, mm-hmm. right? Where he was captive for three ages and so much happened in that time. Now, obviously, the page count is low, but the elves are living in Amman for who knows how many thousands of years right peace and plenty and light and there's they're crafting things and inventing stuff and all you know whatever else is going on during that time uh, and so it may just be that they thought it what he did doesn't merit you know life in prison or the death sentence they okay they can't pass the death sentence on him but they may have just thought you know what he did this crime We're gonna make him do this time, and then Mm -hmm. when he did the time, it's like, Mm -hmm. and now we're not going to keep punishing him. So I don't know. There's that. uh, It's it's a sticky idea of how justice works, and you know how prison works and all that. And I I don't know where I come down on it, but the
2: idea of it being not being about coming out reformed, but being but just doing the time, like right, being punished. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. That's that's it's interesting way to look at that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it also I think goes to like a higher philosophical philosophical that's a word philosophical 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 uh angle where you're saying like without conflict there can be no resolution and if there's if you're going to resolve this race into i think were we talking about it last time where eventually it's men that will take over and the elves will sail away and like if they're just gonna be in this state of peace and light and nothing happening there has to be some sort of conflict in there for for things to get moving. Friction creates energy, energy creates movement. And in order for things to evolve and progress, you have to have you know con- conflict. Conflict.
0: Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know if it's, you know, that kind of you know, eight D chess sure. that we're playing mm-hmm. here. It could just be a more s- simple explanation, but I like that one too. So Okay, well, so in answer to the question here from Elliot, uh, why did Manwe believe Melkor if Melkor is a bad guy? Well, I I don't know. I don't know that he did believe him. He may have just decided because Melkor is a good being, or sorry, Melkor, because Manwe is good, he may have just said, you know what? I'm going to do my best to forgive. And of course, that doesn't work out for the best necessarily uh I mean, in a way, it doesn't work out for the best. But um still, I guess what if we what if we analogized this to a situation in the real world? You've got somebody who is, like, I I don't know what's a what's a terrible crime that we don't feel I mean, awful maybe talking about. On white shoes after Labor Day, wearing what? white shoes after Labor what? Day.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it doesn't even have to be a terrible <laughs> crime. I mean, where my mind went was. Uh, You know, when my son tells me that he'll never do the thing again, that like he spilled something all over the counter or he, you know, had an accident accident or something like that. And, you know, he gets in trouble for whatever reason he gets in trouble and he'll never do that again. Like, I I know you're not going to never do this again. I know you're going to eat chips on the couch and you're going to, you know, smear (laughs) chocolate or wipe a booger on the wall or something like that. I'm never going to do that again. Uh, I don't believe you, but I forgive you. You know, and you're not in trouble for that anymore once you've cleaned it off, or once you know whatever. So, I don't know.
0: Yeah, Melkor's
1: go. Melkor's wiping boogers on the wall is what's happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, I like that. It's it's not even necessarily that that Manway forgave and forgot. He just, you know, if, if Melkor is going to learn, if he's going to improve himself, if he's going to progress. He's gonna have to live his life. we can't just keep him in prison and expect him to rejoin our ranks or, you know, come back to the light. You know, whatever. So there you go. But it's a good question. I like that question a lot. What is going on with Melkor? So all right. So
1: uh we don't talk about Melkor. <laughs> <Kyle, laughs> I'm gonna break you, into song now.
0: Do you have anything else uh, that you wanna bring up before I do some more listener questions?
1: Uh I want to know more about Ungoliant and you've mentioned Ungoliant mm-hmm. several times over the course of our podcasting history where you'll rec- you'll refer to
0: We're excited to finally so, get to her.
1: Yeah, so I want I She's want great. basically I just want you to give me a rundown of Ungoliant. Um yeah, sure. So there was
0: a question, a listener question, so we might as well bring that up. Let's see. Oh, who brought up Ungoliant? It was Dpollt. Who Says, okay, I'm guessing Ungoliant will come up correct. Yes, yes. okay, absolutely. <laughs> Good guess. Are we to assume that all spiders, giant and man eating or otherwise, are her descendants, or did spiders, at least as an idea, exist before she took on that form? And does her breeding a race of giant, of gigantic spider monsters go against the evil, cannot create, only corrupt thing? Um, okay, so, uh, so a rundown of Ungoliant. Ryan, you look like you got something on your mind. No, sorry, it's
2: right. just. Say, uh, my answer to the first of the like four questions in there about uh, are all spiders her descendants? I would say no. That is correct. She took on a form that preexisted.
0: Right. So we know, like in chapter nine, eight, whatever it was, when um when Melkor and Ungoliant cross the the uh, Great Sea, they go back to Middle Earth, and then um. Ungoliant, it said, eventually settles in this valley. Um, it's a Gorgoroth, I think is it's called, um, which is another name that comes up in Mordor later on, the, the Gorgoroth plains. Uh, anyway, so Ungoliant settles in this valley and mates with the spiders there and kind of begins her race. And so, yeah, I think it's fair to say, just like Ryan, you mentioned yeah she took on a form that already existed and just made it giant and twisted and evil so why I, spiders well okay <laughs> good question sorry uh,
2: ryan you were gonna ask a question i, 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 I will get to mine in a minute it's fine it's something that's bothered me for a few years and that means
0: since. that means if we talk about something else you're gonna forget it when it's your turn <laughs> so okay don't forget i got it why yeah. spiders good question there's a <laughs> there's a uh an episode from his biography that Humphrey Carpenter talks about where uh so Tolkien was born in Bloemfontein South Africa uh lived there for the first couple of years of his life and while he was there he was bitten by a tarantula hmm. um and he so Humphrey Carpenter makes mention of this but says that Tolkien uh, Tolkien claims that he never that this didn't negatively affect him and he never had a special dislike for spiders. Later on, sure,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Sure, that's my thing too. I'm like, you can say it all you want. I don't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've read your books. Um, I so I actually have a very very early memory, um, and and I'm talking I'm talking pre two years old where things are you just kind of get these flashes feelings sometimes. Uh, You know, kind of (laughs) like Leia talking about her mother. Just a feeling, really. But I do remember uh, at some point when I was a little kid, a spider crawling up my stomach while I was laying on my back. And I'm looking down and, oh, my gosh. And there's the spider crawling up my stomach. Freaked out. um, And I've been terrified of spiders ever since. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just Part of of who I am at this point, you know, now I'm 35 years old. I can kind of deal with that. And it's not such a big deal. But for several decades after that, I, you know, spiders just doesn't matter how big they are, how small they are, something about the way they move. They Mm -hmm. clearly have evil intent and they must be (laughs) destroyed. Right. And so so Tolkien can say all he wants. Oh, I harbor no special ill will towards spiders. Well, yeah, I call BS. So that's why spiders, I think. Yeah. Fair enough. And it's, you know, who knows? It may have been the tarantula when he was a kid or he spent his whole childhood in the English countryside wandering through the woods and playing games. You think he didn't ever get bit by spiders or, you know, freaked out running through a web or something? Of course. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm guessing he was a little scared of spiders. And that's okay. You can admit it, Tolkien. It's okay. (laughs) So, but good question. Anyway, so the rundown is, uh, Ungoliant is uh, Maya. Uh, So, one of the the lesser race, the sub-gods, what did you call them? The demigods? Demigods, yeah. Um, And uh, so, she was corrupted by Melkor's theme. Uh, So, when they came down to Ea, she was one of those, you know, uh, corrupted creatures. But then eventually split off. She's like, I'm doing my own thing. Screw you guys. You're not evil enough. Whatever. So, she settles in this uh, valley in the south of the Blessed Realm and, uh, and she's able to spin these webs that absorb light, and she can drink light. Um, and so eventually, that whole region becomes not just dark, but but completely void of any light. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really wonderful, creepy imagery the way that he talks about um, how she does this. Uh, so that's that's who she is, and that's who Melkor finds when he wants to strike a blow. At the, uh, at the other Valar, he wants to destroy the trees, and he knew that Ungoliant could do that for him. So and that's who he recruited to his cause. So how's that for Rundown?
1: Fantastic. Okay. Thank you. Good.
0: All right, should we do some listener questions? Some and
1: Ryan, did you have your question? Oh, yeah. Oh, my Craig gosh. You forgot about it. I... Forgot
0: about it. I... Look. I... No, what, what kind of you...
1: host are you?
0: I didn't really want to hear it anyway, <laughs> but I guess I will
2: now. So one of the big things about Ungoliant that I... was interesting to me was... She she took on the form of a spider because she's Maya. She can change form a little bit, right? Okay. But she starts out as a woman.
0: Correct. Uh, n- n- none of these are. She may be female, but to female. call her a woman is, uh, I
2: would say, a misnomer. Okay. She's a a female. Okay. Main reason why, like, I, and I'm had having no connection, having no strong connection to this. Whatever. A few years back, there was a Mild uproar, frustration when there was a game released. That, oh gosh, that made one of her children. <laughs> Is this a, sh- um, Shadow of not Shadow, Shadow of Mortar, War. Shadow of War, which, which I
1: made it like sexy Shelob. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, yeah. It,
2: <laughs> my, this. I guess my question: there, like it never bothered me because I didn't have the connection to it, but I, I know it bothered other people that they did that with Shelob mm-hmm. in there. Is that something that she passed on, like the descendants to the man-eating spiders? Her descendants that they could shift form. Like she could have, like she did. Right. But I I'm going to
0: go with no.
2: Okay. No. Uh,
0: Sheila would not be able to shift form. Now, how angry should the game make you? Calm down, everybody. Just <laughs> calm down. It's not canon. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to like it, but you also don't have to freak out. So, yeah. Uh, yeah General then,
2: good advice for this time and age anyway. like, <laughs>
0: Just... Calm down.
2: How, how does this affect you daily? Like you're, you're okay. You're okay. Yeah, exactly.
0: So, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And it's it's like uh, you know I played um, Shadow of Mordor, mm-hmm. and it's like they, uh, introducing Groggs. Mm-hmm. So what's a Grog? Well, it's not in the canon, so how dare they put it in? What? Calm down. Yeah. It's a it's a rancor. Okay. <laughs> the, the Middle Earth rancors. Okay. It's fine. I don't care. So okay. And then as far as the shape shifting thing. Um, Ungoliant is a giant spider at this point. Could she just shapeshift into something else, possibly? But we also know that Melkor no longer can do that. Um, okay. Well, I I I know it mentions that he would soon lose that ability. Um, and I, I'm not sure if we're told that he has lost it yet, or if that's coming up in the next section. But uh, we also know this about Sauron. Uh, we're going to find out later that you know he's a shapeshifter and he mm-hmm. can appear wonderful and lovely and elven and all that stuff and he loses that ability. Um, and I, th- I think somebody asked, yeah, Drop of Sunshine asked, why is Melkor stuck in the form of a great, tall, terrible, dark lord? Um, and it's, I think, largely because when these beings use their powers in, in some... Some manifestations of their powers require that they actually um, y- not just use, but eject. <laughs> I don't know what the right word is. Some of their power into objects or other beings or whatever. And so I think at a certain point, Melkor has um, has used up a lot of his power and is no longer able to do the shape-shifting thing, whatever. it's it, it, The batteries are running low.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know quite how else to put it so uh, words are hard it makes sense uh, without there being some specific event that removes the power like or even taking something from them It makes the most sense right
1: i mean it also makes sense just from a like a practical sense that you physically resemble like your actions and your choices a lot so if i'm Mm. gonna go to the gym and and be healthy i will look healthy if i'm not i'm not going to healthy or jacked and swole well, depends on what I'm doing. Maybe I'm just doing <laughs> yoga. Uh, but you know, like or if you eat well or you don't eat well, like that has a a physical or you drink enough water or you don't drink enough water, mm. like the way you look, the way you appear is resembled in in the choices and actions that you that you make. So,
2: Well, there's, yeah, I like that. I I really actually very much enjoyed the uh physical effects of having the Silmarils what it did to Melkor. Yeah, burning his you know, hands where it, the visuals of that he's holding them in a cat even though he's, he's they a he's ca- they're burning his hands and he's just so just the the the, the need monkey's paw to hold them like i can't let these go you know ungolians like feed me the one what's in your right hand or yeah something yeah and he's like no you can't have these these are these are the precious these are my preciouses um <laughs> pressure yes the eye. <laughs> um and then it burns him and then the crown, Like it's it just it starts to do the deformation that we see in a lot of villains and, and Dark Lord type characters where there's got to be the burnt face. I think back to Torak and things like that in the Belgariad where it's part of what makes the easy to spot the villain is the physical deformations caused by their actions. Like you are ugly because you you were greedy and you held on to something too long or you got too close to something. Or mm-hmm. like it's I, I like that sort of setup.
0: Now, I want to tie this idea of uh, deformation and the loss of power, you know, not being able to shapeshift or whatever the case may be with another question that we got from Hurinfan, Fan, who asks, do you think that Muriel, who was Feanor's mother, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that Muriel simply <laughs> was suffering from postpartum depression and the explanation is simply a heroic, quote unquote, heroic euphemism or a way to cover the shame, so to speak, um, okay, so it's a good question, Ryan. You look like you have an immediate answer.
2: I do. Uh, uh, not a scholar on this to my research imagination, but I my answer would be no. I don't think Tolkien was doing that specifically, but I think it's a really great tie-in and comparison that happened. It's a fortuitous uh, thing in there because I, I I don't know. I would imagine that. The gods dealing with postpartum would be different, something like that. <laughs> right. It would be something different set So
0: it is. There, there's actually, there was a really interesting discussion in the last week or so on Discord. Please go join our Discord. Uh, a really interesting discussion about how these immortal beings procreate, okay, which, mm-hmm. you know, could get humorous really quickly, but it was actually a really good discussion. And so people were talking about um, some of the theories behind how elves procreate. Um, some of which are from Tolkien, some of which aren't, um, and one,
2: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Ryan's got jokes. Sorry. Yeah. I wouldn't have been a good part of that conversation. <laughs> Ears aren't the only things that are pointing. Let's go. Oh, jeez.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyway, yeah. uh, i not in that conversation on the discord. Moving uh, on. So you can get, you can actually get some clues if you go back into the Einling and listen to, or read the, um, the descriptions of the themes of Iluvatar, Um, where the first the second the third theme it's actually mentioned in this section that uh, explicitly it says that humans are the third theme of Iluvatar, Mm -hmm. and so you can go back then and listen to oh what was the second theme and and how do these how does melkor and this theme and that theme interact with each other and with that and some other uh, quotes from tolkien you can kind of get the idea that when an elf procreates and you could say this about um, the Maiar as well. So you've got, uh, we haven't really talked much about Thingol and Melian yet, uh, but they came up a little bit in the last section. Um, so when when they procreate, it's, you're, like a, when a human being procreates, you don't lose anything of yourself. Mm-hmm. But that may not actually be true of the elves. Where when they, in order to bring a child into being, you have to impart some piece of yourself permanently Mm -hmm. to that child. Um, And so when Muriel gives birth to Feanor, he is imbued with so much of her own self, her own power, her own whatever. Words taste like peaches. Um, That she is no longer able to live. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not a, I don't think a postpartum depression thing. I think it's specifically how elves procreate and how, you know, he kind of took the whole life force of his mother at, you know, in addition to whatever his father imparted, in addition to whatever he has innately. And that's why he is described as the most talented, the most powerful, the most uh, cunning and wise and all this, because uh, he has so much of his parents in him. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I bring that up in part to tie it back to the, uh, the shape-shifting thing. You know, why is Melkor stuck in his great, terrible Dark Lord form? And it's because he imparted too much of his power to other things. Whether it was, um, you know, feeding power to Ungoliant or crafting this or, you know, whatever. I, I don't know all the mechanics of it, but uh, I think we have a similar kind of explanation there.
2: Yeah, so. makes sense. Uh, Anyway, okay. Raynor we- was just so... Extra as the kids say it. Yes. Well,
0: yeah, what if Somebody actually did say that. Um or Okay. You know what? Let's let's go ahead and talk about this one. This is another one from Hurin Fan, who says, What about the Noldor? Set them apart from the other elves that caused them specifically to get this fate. Similarly, what are the largest flaws and weaknesses of Feyanor? Why is he so extra? <laughs> says Hurin Fan. So Ryan, you're right on there. Um and I love this question. Okay, so the Noldor, just to remind everybody who's, um, you know, not a <laughs> Silmarillion You can scholar,
1: say to remind Kyle to because remind he Kyle. doesn't know what the hell's happening.
0: The Noldor, when we talk about the Noldor, that's one of the three major elven houses they right, left of the light elves. Yes, they're the ones that left. One of the right, ones that left. right. So we have the Vanyar, the Noldor, and the Teleri. And the Noldor are the ones who left and went back to Middle-earth. And mm-hmm. Swore the terrible oaths and, you know, went to set up their own kingdoms in Middle-earth. So uh, Fan says, what about the Noldor sets them apart from other elves? It's a great question. And because he asked that question, I actually went back to chapter six and took a note um, here. Let's see. Uh, What sets the Noldor apart? And I just, as I read the chapter, I circled little tidbits, little hints that we get about who the Noldor are and what they value. Um, So let's see. In those days, the Eldar became full grown in stature of body and mind or the Eldar became, and the Noldor advanced ever in skill and knowledge. Okay, let's see. Their long years were filled with joyful labors. So they love working. They love crafting. They love um, skill. Uh, In which many new things, fair and wonderful, were devised. So, okay, now they're inventors as well. They're not just making beautiful things. They're making new things, things that nobody had ever seen before. Uh, Let me quickly skip through this chapter, see if I circled anything else. Um, okay, here's one. The sorrow and strife in the house of Finway is graven in the memory of the Noldorin elves. So now we have a hint that when, um, when muriel died, um, what was it? Did I get the name right? Yeah, Miriel. <laughs> when muriel died, um, Finway remarried and had two mm-hmm. more sons. So now feanor has half brothers, and there was a lot of division between those two sides of Finway's house, right? And yeah. so that. Sets up, uh, you know, some division within the Noldor themselves. Uh, let's see. The Noldor took delight in the hidden knowledge that Melkor could reveal to them. So we're getting some little tidbits about who they are. And Feanor is um, kind of the the Ur-Noldor. He is the <laughs> the platonic ideal of a Noldorine elf. Um, in fact, on the next page in chapter 7, a couple paragraphs in... Um, uh, let's see if I can get the actual. Okay, the heart of Feanor. Speaking of the Silmarils, let's see. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up a little bit. Um, he's just crafted the Silmarils and Varda hallows them so that thereafter no mortal flesh, uh, nor hands unclean nor anything of evil, uh, or of evil will might touch them. But it was scorched and withered. Okay, so that's why Melkor burns his hands, right? Um, blah, 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 so everybody loves the Silmarils. The heart of Feanor was fast bound to these things that he himself had made. And it becomes clear as we read these chapters that, um, that the Noldor, their, their major sins, and you can talk about this with Feanor as well, uh, are lust, envy, and eventually jealousy. Uh, so lust obviously nowadays when we speak of lust usually it's a has sexual overtones but it doesn't have to be that way lust in your heart after whatever object of your
2: desire covetous would be right yeah
0: covetousness there you go um envy you know other people are able to do things or have things that i want um, and then jealousy, which we often confuse for envy, but jealousy being uh kind of the other side of that coin where I have something and I don't ever want anybody to benefit from that or have it or whatever, right? So so I think those are their major sins. So um so Huron Fan asks, what sets them apart from the other elves? Um why why is Feynor so extra? That that's my explanation is they're lustful, envious and jealous
2: Um, and curious and driven and
0: right right. and it's the the thing is it's those are their greatest weakness but it's also their greatest strength Mm -hmm. because we're gonna make our way through this whole silmarillion we've read the lord of the rings and the hobbit and all this uh, stuff and what have the vanyar ever done for middle earth how have they bettered the lives of the people of middle earth they haven't they're just kind of chilling in the blessed realm being content which is a virtue in itself in a lot of ways but it also kind of like kyle was saying earlier it's not going there's no there's no progress, progress. to be made mm-hmm. by being content mm-hmm. um and so you know you have to weigh strengths and weaknesses and the noldor have these uh, big big weaknesses that cause a lot of problems for themselves and others down the road but it also spurs a lot of progress advancement um it does good for others later on because they're not content because they want to invent because they want to craft they want to learn um where the others are content not to so i a- end of sentence i, I don't know <laughs> that was a, that was a long bit for me
2: i think one thing that was interesting for me on this read through since we're talking about the noldor as a whole um when you get to the section about i, I want to say this word is where they start get ready to swear the oaths uh for to always chase the Silmarils. I don't remember if they've mentioned her before, but we meet, we see Galadriel. Mm-hmm. And she does one thing different to everybody else in that she does not swear the oath. Uh,
0: yeah, Kind of, kind of. Yes, like, that's correct. She does not swear the oath. Go on. Well, it,
2: it's just one of those things. Like, uh, the character of Galadriel is one that I've, I've had interest in, but have never looked too far into whatever. And mm-hmm. so getting this experience for like, okay, so she's among these these warriors going that are going to go chase the Silmarils. Um, they're going to swear this oath and bind themselves to it or whatever. And in my mind, I read that and went, oh, she has the foresight to go, wait a minute. This may not be the, I, I may not want to bind myself entirely to this oath this way. I I, I want to be a part of this, but I don't want to bind myself to it quite the same way you guys all are. Right. Like she- She's smart. she she is ambitious she's (laughs) very ambitious ambitious.
0: so it talks about how in caladriel's heart was kindled the desire for her own kingdom Mm -hmm. and you know she wanted freedom to set up her own kingdom in middle earth and that's why she's going um she does not uh swear the oath like you said ryan but um okay So there's a paragraph in the final chapter, The Flight of the Noldor, uh, in which, let's see. Okay, slower and less eagerly came the host of Fingolfin after them. So we've got Feanor leading his house, we have Fingolfin leading his house. Um, And okay, so now this is where I tell people, okay, now keep keep a little bookmark on the family tree in the back so you can constantly flip back there to the family tree. So let's go to the family tree, and we're going to pull it up. Okay, so we got Feanor, we've got the House of Fingolfin, and we have the fa- House of Finarfin. These are all the Noldorine elves, um, and Galadriel is of the of the House of Finarfin. Okay, so she's with. Uh, uh, um. Okay. of Of those, Fingon was. Uh, uh, sorry. Slowly. Slower and less eagerly came the host of Fingolfin after them. Of those, Fingon was the foremost, but at the rear went Finarfin and Finrod. So Finarfin being Galadriel's father. Um, and many of the noblest and wisest of the Noldor. And often they looked behind them to see their fair city, until the lamp uh, blah, blah, blah blah was lost in the night. More than any others of the exiles, meaning those who went to Middle-earth. They carried thence memories of the bliss they had forsaken. Um, and so, Galadriel is part of that group. She's part of of the Noldor who are leaving. She's in the rearmost group with the mm-hmm. House of Finarfin, and they're the ones who are yeah, they're leaving, but they're but they're not pissed about it. Feanor's mm-hmm. pissed about it. Um, the House of Finarfin, including Galadriel, they're a little bit oh, yeah, this is boy, this is an awfully nice place. I'm going to miss it a lot. Mm-hmm. I have other things I want to accomplish, but I'm going to miss this place. So when we talk about the oath and who swore the oath and who does all these evil deeds, the general rule, I think, would be anybody who's further toward the front of the group, i.e. the house of Feanor, they're the worst ones. And the ones toward the back, they're the best ones, i.e. the house of Finarfin and Galadriel. Got it. Um, so, it, it, again, a general rule. So the, Feanor and his seven sons swore the oath. None of the others swore the oath. That doesn't mean they're not leaving, but but they didn't swear that oath, you know, the pursuit of the Silmarils. So does that make sense? Yep. Mm -hmm. I I hope that's a decent explanation. So I do want to, um, speaking of which, highlight a couple of other things. Uh, You guys remember last time I I highlighted a couple chapters, or sorry, a couple paragraphs and said, highlight these, bookmark them, come back to them. It was the, the description of the seven sons of feanor Mm because those names are really important similarly on uh well i I should say in chapter nine yeah so a couple pages into chapter nine in my second edition it's page 83 but i'm not sure where it's going to be there's the um the paragraph that starts then feanor swore a terrible oath Mm -hmm. uh and the second half of that paragraph is that oath okay so we've got um uh, vowing to pursue with vengeance and hatred to the ends of the world, vala, demon, elf, or man, as yet unborn, or any creature, great or small, good or evil, that time should bring forth unto the end of days, who whoso should hold or take or keep a Silmaril from their possession. So that's the oath. We don't care who you are. You could be a mouse or a god. If you try to take or hold a Silmaril, you are our enemy and we will pursue you and take it from you. So that's the oath. So highlight that similar it, to the, the other paragraph I mentioned. Come back to that. Whenever the oath is mentioned and you're like, wait, what was the oath? It's not that complicated, but you might want to come back and check out the wording of it. Yeah. Um, the other one was a few pages later. Um, there is a the curse of Mandos. And this comes into play a lot. Um, essentially cursing the Noldor for their oath. Um, and for their pursuance of it. Pursuance? Is that a word? Sure. Pursuit. Pursuit. Thank Pursuit. you. I'm very smart. Uh, Tears unnumbered ye shall shed. And so that's mm-hmm. how it starts. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically no good will come of this. So those two paragraphs are the curse of Mandos and they should also be highlighted so you can return to them often.
2: The oath and the curse of Mandos.
0: Yep. So anyway, there you go. Um, another listener question? Yes. Okay. Kyle, I'm gonna send this one to you. I don't know what it's gonna be yet, but oh boy, I haven't heard from you a second. So prepare uh, for disappointment, dear listener. <laughs> I, I will. Okay, let's do. Um, let's do another Hurin fan. Uh, oh no, nope. We're gonna we're gonna do Lady Sweden. So we're gonna go back to the gods. Um, leaving the elves and go back to the gods. Is Manway a good leader? Lady Sweden asks. Why doesn't he listen to the advice of the other Valar? While he, uh, while he doesn't know evil, he seems to think too highly of himself, and his judgment, which causes real problems. So, is he a good leader? Let's just, uh, let's keep
1: it simple. What do you think? Hard to say because I don't know that I know enough about Manway's intentions and inner, inner thought. Like we talked about earlier, he's the closest in thought to Iluvatar. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, it just goes back to our earlier question around letting Melkor free. What does that do? Um, I don't I don't see any evidence to think that he's a poor leader. Um, yeah, I don't know, Ryan, I don't, I don't know do if I'm think? the most equipped to answer this, yeah, to be honest, I, so. Who is? Who is?
0: Uh, None of us, contrary to popular opinion,
2: are gods. So um i would say is he a good leader i would say base let me, let me flip this just a little bit i think depending on your answer will affect your viewing of his unchaining of melkor um i think if you think that he's a good leader that he's trying to be like you were talking about the i'm going to give you the opportunity i'm going to be a good i'm, I'm a good fatherish figure if you feel that way then it makes sense that why he unchained melkor um going back to our earlier discussion uh but, if you think that it's f- that he is flawed and that he is blind to things, and that's what makes him unable to do things, then I would say that's you'd probably think he's a bad leader and i'm inc- I'm inclined right now for no other reason than he's had a few ages to manage. and they've been fine for a few ages. it seems like mm. yeah you know, to say that he's a good leader, but maybe it was only good because the bad was behind a door
0: I'm right. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of tempting to look at what happens with Melkor and what happens with the Noldor, and say, "Oh well, a good leader wouldn't have let these things happen." But you're essentially asking for a a, a rigid totalitarian leader yeah. who doesn't allow for choice, who doesn't allow for freedom. Um, and so, is he a good leader? I guess that depends on how you define that.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, depending on your your definition of good and from which perspective like from the follower perspective and are you protecting me from anything that might harm me and is that what i'm defining as good or is good being a good leader for manway does that mean he's executing on what he thinks a aluvatar would want because he's the most like him right so if good means well in the original creation of all of this everybody was free to make their choices and and do their things including Melkor then that is what is good
0: there you go yeah it's it also we get into we can get into different definitions of wisdom um it, like you can look at manwe from these chapters and say well he doesn't understand evil so he has he he's not wise you know he but then is wise a synonym for crafty or, you know, clever? Yeah. Not necessarily. Uh, so I am I think there are different definitions, different uh, types of wisdom, right? And so him being closest to the mind of God gives him, uh, I, I would say, a great amount of wisdom, you know, as defined in Middle Earth. Uh, but then there's a different type of wisdom that we're going to see uh, as the story goes on. Um, you know galadriel is actually a great example of this where by the time we get to the lord of the rings you have this otherworldly almost goddess-like figure in the woods of lothlorien she is literally (laughs) accounted among the wise Mm -hmm. that's part of her title right um but her wisdom comes from long sorrowful experience Mm -hmm. of terrible terrible things happening to her and her people and so that's a different type of wisdom, the wisdom that comes from the conflict that Kyle was bringing mm-hmm. up earlier. Um, so is Manway a good leader? Well, if you're looking for somebody who's gone through it the way Galadriel has gone through it, then maybe not. Maybe you wouldn't define him as a good leader. But if you're looking for somebody who is good and who is willing to extend an olive branch to the worst being in Middle Earth, somebody who, you know, is able to trust those under him. Sometimes, to his detriment, then you know, I, I guess does, how do you define it?
1: yeah, does he facilitate an environment of growth? <laughs>
2: are we manager training <laughs> or something oh like, like,
1: <laughs> but seriously, like think about I it, love it. I love like it. the evolution and the growth of the elves and men and whatever else, you know, otherwise you're back to did you say well, not the Noldor, but whoever was just in that
2: state of contentment. The, va- the Vanyar.
1: The Vanyar, you're just in that state of contentment and it's just nothingness necessarily.
2: But isn't isn't Manway over all of them anyway? Yeah. So the Vanyar's complacency isn't really a reflection of unless Manway just ignores them and only interacts with the nolder but there's nothing that i've read so far that indicates that
1: or he allows them to make their own choices and the choices that they made were to just live in this state of contentment and right, that in my sense. mind would be like i said good good again is is subjective but i think that there's a difference between what is good and then consequence and so everybody it, it is good that everybody has the ability to choose and and do what they want to and create or not create or antagonize or not antagonize. But then there's consequence from whatever that is. And those consequences can be perceived as positive or negative, depending on the recipient of those consequences. Right.
2: What you're saying is that Manway needs to have an end-of-age review with the Menyar. Yes, NPR yes. You get a in 3% a...
1: increase on on light, yeah. on elven light this year, this age, Melkor. Yeah. I don't know. So, okay, the
0: Lady Sweden had a part two to this question, or at least I, I consider it a part two. It was a separate question, but she says, the Valar have seen the Maiar fall off the wagon and go dark, a sign of free will. And we might say one of the Valar as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how come they are not more prepared that the elves might want to decide their own fate and path or faith and path. Um, it's, it's a good question. Why aren't they more pre- prepared for the Noldor taken off? And my question would be, are you assuming that the Valar are really cynical or do you want them to be really cynical? Um Because if they are, then maybe they would have made more, quote-unquote, preparations for this sort of thing. But I don't don't think that's any way to live your life, and certainly not not if you're a god. So, let's put this in really mundane terms. Um, I have seen, you know, you drive down the highway and you see some obscenely bad driving. You know, people cutting off. They're not using blinkers. They're cruising in the left lane. Oh, boy. There is no greater sin in my book. I hope Ken's listening. Uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. They're cruising in the left lane. They're uh, they are they're cutting people off. Whatever the case may be. The bad drivers. But that's, you know, a, a minority of drivers out there. And you don't expect the person in front of you to be that bad a driver. I mean, maybe, I guess. Or... or um, I don't know, somebody does something <laughs> that you don't approve of. You don't assume every other person is going to do that. I don't know what uh, what, what my analogy should be, but uh, if you guys have anything better. But my point being, you can't just, just because one person does something bad, you can't assume everybody is going to do that bad thing. Um, and if you do, that is the mark of a cynic and it's no way to live your life at least in my opinion,
2: yeah, but there's also things like when something happens, like building in a like oh, this happened, we should probably have a plan for this if it happens again in the future, type thing makes sense, and that isn't quite cynical, it's bit smart preparation that you would think a god would do in that sense I don't know i I view that more as uh, I don't know I, I, I have a I have a son, and he does things that make no sense to me whatsoever that I never anticipated, but <laughs> like I I understand the child, I understand it, but every now and then it's like, what, what, what was your thought process here? What was going? I don't understand this, and i there probably that's the challenge of free will, I guess. Is that every now and then it's going to be one of those wild card moments that you're like, I, I don't understand what the thought process was here. I couldn't prepare for it or anything, and that's, I guess, that's how we also differentiate ourselves eventually, and right. as things go on. And you know
0: the the question, the question really is of free will uh, right so why let's see why are they how come they're not more prepared says lady sweden in what way how are they going to prepare for the noldor making a different choice child lock gates it, right i mean they <laughs> literally you have to remove free will that's the only way i can see to prepare for this sort of thing now we can get back to our earlier discussion about why didn't why did they let Melkor out? You know, they should have never let Melkor out, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but we we actually have indications. Like I read the bit about Feanor, being you know his heart was set on the Silmarils. They, he, kind of coveted, and was jealous of his own creation as soon as they were created. Uh, where Melkor may have sped up, the process. He may have been a catalyst for the Noldor turning away from the Valar. Uh but that doesn't mean they wouldn't have done it eventually. Yeah. You know. Anyway, <laughs> so I don't know where quite where I was going with that, but it's like how do you prepare for that? You don't. If you don't want to completely shut down their will.
2: it's a, it's a good reminder also that the Valar are not omniscient. Like, right.
0: Or omnipotent.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a good reminder there. I do actually think that uh it's interesting to watch How Melkor sows the seeds of this problem? What are the lies, or what are the things that he tells the the Noldor to get them to be concerned? That the first thing you like, he just immediately breaks them apart into into different groups. Like, oh yeah, you know they're they're just basically waiting for the men to show up. Oh my gosh! Like, it's I was getting
0: serious traumatic, uh, not flashbacks because they're flash. (laughs) present. I don't know Mm -hmm. quite how to put it, but like this is it's right out of the playbook of what we see so often in our own society right now Mm -hmm. where, you know, with and and I refuse to get into specifics with this, so don't ask me, (laughs) but you see it from everywhere, any angle Mm -hmm. you throw a rock on the Internet. uh, Well, good luck, Uh, but throw a rock on the Internet and you'll find somebody who is whipping people up into uh anger you know into some kind of frenzy because they're out to get you who's they i you know i don't know whoever they happens to be it doesn't matter you want to put in there but it's but melkor going around saying well you know the valar boy they they just they they want to put you in chains Mm -hmm. they want to okay well if feanor he's gonna run away with the silmarils you're never gonna see him again oh well uh, what, what's, uh, not, not, not what's the, uh, Fing- Fingolfin is going to, he's going to try to usurp your place, Feanor, it's getting, woo, here he comes. And this happens all the time. They're out to get you. They want to ruin your life. They want to take what you have.
2: They, you know, and it happens all the time. Anyway, and I so, am your friend because I am telling, I'm the one warning you about exactly. this. Trust me, because I, I have your back that, yeah, it's, it is. Very dirty, very rotten. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, okay, so Ryan, I have a question for you, uh, getting away from listener questions. We've talked a lot on this podcast, over 350 episodes or so, of, um, of kind of oath-keeping. Mm-hmm. We, we talk a lot about, you know, do what you say you're going to do, keep your word, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, we've got an instance where that goes very, very wrong here with the oath of Feanor. There's a line um, in chapter nine, right after the oath, actually. I I mentioned the oath that people should go and highlight. Um, Thus spoke all the sons of Feanor, and many quailed to hear the dread words. For so sworn, good or evil, an oath may not be broken, and it shall pursue oath keeper and oath breaker to the world's end.
2: Mm. What do you think of that?
0: like we talk a lot about how much we we miss the supposed halcyon days
2: of of uh <laughs> you know oath keeping and people mm-hmm. keeping their word, being a man of their like you can do a deal with a handshake and we can't yeah, right can't right. Do it right anymore
0: but in this case it's it's i think we have a pretty strong warning against is it oaths in particular or oaths in general or like this type of oath in particular it's
2: i would say it's a warning about what being aware of what you are giving your oath to, like promising to help out moving on Saturdays, an <laughs> oath that if you break is probably just going to piss somebody off a little bit, and you whatever, not that big of a, whatever. But being aware of what you put your name and your your word to, there is a lot of value to that, and I think a lot of it you can earn a lot of in, uh, integrity points or something with mm-hmm. other people when they see you being a person of your word in that oath, and so to be careful what you put your name to on that makes. That makes sense because otherwise you can be forced into a scenario where to keep your word. Uh, this this goes back to one of my worst moments, uh, one of my most rethought moments on the podcast uh, when we were doing. <laughs> now let's bring it back up. Here yeah, we go. Yeah, exactly. See, it still sits with me, uh, and it's when I uh, Rand has to kill one of the Iel because he he. He killed someone who threatened his or who made fun of their religion type thing. Okay, and I was like, I wish Rand would, you know, take into account that this. But he had made a he made a law. He made, no this is what it is, and I have to live by it. And I thought, oh no, you got to be able to go back on like there's so extenuating circumstances, and I got eaten alive for it. <laughs> sure, <laughs> for doing that. And I think this it's made me think, especially in a scenario like this, like be very careful about what you put down in stone as my oath and my word because you will be held against that and if you don't do that then you're an oath breaker
0: and and you have to make that choice which which one are you going to be an oath keeper and a terrible person or an oath breaker and a terrible person yep yeah that's a good way to put it Mm -hmm. so oh i'm glad i uh, i'm impressed with how you skirted around the uh wheel of time spoilers on that one yeah so something happens yeah (laughs) So, yeah, that was a good one. Um, okay, good. yeah, that's all that's all always was looking for from that. So, let me bring up one other thing. Um hey, I, I do have a few words of the day. you know, I, I pick out these obscure words. Uh, but first, I want to pick out uh, a very common word, and that's pride. So there's a lot of talk of pride in these chapters, you know, so uh, Fanor is proud. And when it comes to his Silmarils, the Noldor are proud. They they swear the oath in their pride, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I was reminded, let's see, uh, when I read this section, Feanor began to love the Silmarils with a greedy love and grudged the sight of them to all save his father and his seven sons. He seldom re- remembered now that the light within them was not his own. So this, uh, this concept of him you know, becoming prideful um, and that turning into jealousy. Uh, anyway, so in French, there are two words that I want to bring up, la fierté and l'orgueil. Uh, and both of them are translated into English as pride. We don't have this split, but in French, they have the split. And I'm sure other languages have them as well. Uh, Kyle, I don't know about Spanish, if they have these this division. But in French, you can have fierté. Uh, which is the the same. It's the kind of pride that you have when your your child does something well, and you're so happy for them. You know, we talk about this all the time. I'm so so proud of my yeah son for kicking that boy's head in the karate tournament. Whatever, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like I'm I'm proud of my boy. Uh, and that's so. It's kind of like a, a righteous. It's a good kind of pride. And then l'orgueil, uh, which is uh, the the kind of pride that we're warned against. That can lead to jealousy. That can lead to lust and anger and envy. Um, anyway, so I, I I just wanted to bring that up. Like there, this word pride comes up all the time and, uh, and I wish we had another one. Mm -hmm. Wish we had another word for pride that we could differentiate between the good and the bad kinds. I don't know. Thoughts and feelings or should we move on?
1: No, we're good. Okay.
0: All right. Kyle, did you have any silly Marillion stuff from this one? I I, I forgot to ask you before we started recording.
1: We had an interesting conversation in our, uh, (laughs) in our group chat the other night around the Lord of the Rings rights being born or oh, being yeah. being put on uh, auction or whatever and Ryan and I went off on some silly Marillion stuff, but for this section not necessarily okay. anything that stood out, so we don't have to go into it. But let let's just uh throw it out there that we pitched the Muppet Silmarillion idea mm-hmm. and uh it was it was a good time. And yeah. <laughs> and Craig promptly just skip past all of that i did i i
0: <laughs> was i was actually busy i can't remember what i was doing but at some point i was like wow these guys are on a tear yeah and i
2: couldn't keep up so. we just
1: figured <laughs> disney's gonna buy it and then ryan's gonna be a permanent resident at disneyland with all the ips that he loves mm-hmm. they'll all be there It'll they'll be build
2: great. a shire right next to toontown and <laughs> you mean tuna town
1: yeah tuna town there you go uh yeah you, you could make that work yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. so that that's disturbing that's a disturbing thought okay we're already over an hour so let me um let me do a couple words of the day and uh, we can start wrapping this up so uh word of the day perforce perforce per, perforce uh on page let's see for me it's on page 80 so this is they're all in chapter nine i think um blah, 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 blah. Then perforce, Morgoth surrendered to her, to Ungoliant, uh, the gems that he bore with him one by one and grudgingly. So then perforce, Morgoth surrendered. So perforce simply means by necessity. So that one's kind of, you can parse it out, perforce, you, you were forced to by necessity. Okay, so let's go on to a more difficult one. How about Kozen? Or cousin, cousin. I'm going to go with cousin. <laughs>
2: may know. I hear it in a
0: sentence? You may. Page eighty-three. So same chapter, a little, a uh, little further on. The uh, let's see. He echoed the lies of Melkor that the Valar had cozened them. C O Z E N, cousin. So any guesses on this one?
2: Uh, so I, let me see if I can Whispered find the actual. sweetly into their ear.
0: <laughs> Cosily. Um, yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, does that have something to do with cozy? No, uh, it is to trick or deceive. Um, so man, he pulls some words out, doesn't he? Yeah. Jeez. Uh, and then the last one is Firth, F-I-R-T-H. Um, the Firth of Dreng uh, Drangist. Firth, Firth, whatever. I don't know how you pronounce it. I'm going to go with Firth. Um, and it is a narrow inlet or estuary
2: on the seashore. So, there you go. Ryan, don't look so impressed. Uh, I'm I am just trying to piece together whether or not there's a colin in uh, whatever word you just said. Estuary? Firth, for, yes. There's a Colin Firth in the estuary, you know, call it. There was a there were the makings of a joke there, but it was sitting on the table and I was like, do I have time to assemble it and I just couldn't find not, the pieces no, to no, I, no, I, I do want, you're doing great. I I want <laughs>
1: I'll make a
2: good Colin Firth joke and make it somehow applicable to estuaries. And I did. So yeah. oftentimes with these words, I'll just, I'll literally
0: just Google the word and it comes up with a, with a definition on this one. It was like, you know, Google images of Colin Firth. Yeah. And I was okay, Firth definition. And then I got it. But uh, yeah, sorry. I feel like it's important people know that Ryan is operating on two hours of sleep. If that. Maybe three, maybe three. Okay. So, yeah, and this is when he's at his best, let's be honest. So, Um, okay, cool. I think we've got through a lot of the stuff that I want to get, wanted to get through. So hopefully that is um, enough because we're, we don't actually have time this week to do the, uh, the uh, Patreon extra. Um, Sorry about that. We'll do it when we can, but um, it's one of those things like. We, we we never put it in the in the Patreon terms and conditions, so we don't have to do it, Ryan. Uh, no, but we'd like to. Just this week, we're kind of out of time. So, uh, luckily, we got to. I think all of the um, the listener questions. I don't think we missed anything. Oh, you know what? Um, real quick, Jafu says, "Man, Lord of the Rings and Hobbit really romanticize the elves." Good point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we they are not. Who we get to know in the Lord of the Rings at this point, um, so yeah, that's a good point. And then fan asks, any thoughts on why the Valar speak in such
1: archaic English? Because um, Tolkien loved it. Yeah, that's why. Because Tolkien was a language nerd, and he wanted it. He wanted to dive deep and show off his skills.
0: Well, I think I think it's honestly it's it, it doesn't take all that much skill to replace some use with thous um i think it's just a way to differentiate like these are the most ancient of creatures they
2: speak he's also creating a a
1: mythology here right and that's very much the same type of language that you read in other mythology you know ancient languages so i think it very much makes sense that there would be a natural progression of language from ages and ages ago until now how they speak in middle earth so yeah
2: i think anything that's if you go back in any of the English translations of religious texts of God and, you know, the the Bible, things like this. I mean, they're all written in that sort of language. So it makes sense to have your they're, God. They're even just.
0: And you can get like the new translation of the, the Bible. And it. Yeah. Super throws me off. I I have to like it doesn't necessarily have to be the King James, but if I if I read any passage from the Bible that's not archaic in its language, I'm just, huh, well, it, it makes me this? shiver a little yeah. bit. That's I mean, not how Jesus talks. And it doesn't
1: even have to be. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be religious text. Go read Beowulf, or go right. read Shakespeare, yeah. or go read any of the any of the poems like or poets like Byron and all of that. Mm-hmm. Like the language is just different, and that's how people spoke.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, shall we wrap it up? Uh, We are going to finish with this section and the next section will be, uh, let's see, the fourth episode that we'll do will encompass the next three chapters. So we have of the Sindar. So that's the elves that stayed behind in Middle Earth. That's the next section you're going to read. Um, we're going to get back to Thingol and Melian and the kingdoms that were existing in Middle Earth are they while still all each, this.
2: Are they still staring at each other?
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> They're not. That was uh, that was over before we left the last section. Um, of the sun and moon and the hiding of Valinor. Oof. That's I, one of my favorite bits of mythology from Middle Earth is the creation of the sun and moon. So those are going to be fun. And then the last chapter is of men. So humans are going to come into the picture very soon. Um, yeah I'm looking forward to this one it's going to be a good one so I hope everybody will stick with us Kyle, Ryan thanks for coming back in and uh, yeah for everybody else go to thelegendarium.com where you can find past episodes uh, grouped by author and let's see you can find the Patreon link you can find the Discord link we'd love to see you there um, on Discord ask your questions um, and we will do our best to give you if not answers at least responses (laughs) All right. thanks guys I'll see you next time